Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. People may try to ignore those words. They may try to bend those words. They may try to reinterpret those words. But that's what they say, and that's what they mean. The text says the Jews were trying to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. That's what the words say. That's what the words mean. And when he says the Son gives life to whom he will is the giver of life, that's what the words say, and that's what they Jesus claims to be the giver of life. Who did he think he was? Who did Jesus think he was? And what will he do next? I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken in two All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today, studying God's Word. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, Chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. You and I walking up on a telephone conversation. Somebody's on their phone. And we don't know what's being said to them, but we know what they're saying back. So we get a pretty good idea that these people have confronted Jesus, wanting to know what in the world he's doing. And as Jesus begins to tell them, they're outraged. They are infuriated. And what he does is he takes them by the little finger and leads them to one conclusion and one conclusion only. And we'll see if you can figure out what that conclusion is. Let me explain to you also what's going on in the book of John. This passage is really special to me because as a new believer, I wanted to know that Jesus was God. I wanted to know that he claimed to be God. And this is where I found my answer. And what's going on here is he's leading them to the inevitable conclusion that he is God in human form. You and I today, when we reason and when we think and when we even debate, we do it deductively. We declare our proposition, we declare our belief, and then we give particulars to prove our point. Not so in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, not the Greeks and the Romans, but the Jews reasoned inductively. And what happened is, is they would take a set of ideas or a set of experiences or a set of particulars and they would generalize a central theme. And this is what Jesus does throughout the Gospel of John with the Jewish leaders. In fact, at one point they'll say to him in John 8, Who are you? And he says, What have I been telling you? So what he does here is he tells them who he is. Inductively, he gives them a set of particular facts which only lead to one conclusion, and let's see what they are. What we have here are five self-portraits of Jesus Christ. Who does Jesus think he is? Who does he want the world to know? Self-portrait number one. Jesus portrays himself as equal to God. 
Jesus portrays himself as equal to God. Where do we see this? We see this in verse 17. But Jesus answered them. So now he's replying to them. They said something to him. And he answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. What's going on here? What's going on here is Jesus is saying, God has been working throughout all eternity up until now, and I've been working right alongside him. Just, I've been doing what my father's been doing. He's, he's, he's doing something very un-Jewish. He's calling God his own personal father, which in that era would have been blasphemy. It would be a capital offense. You would be executed for that. It's bad enough he's doing it on the Sabbath. He's healing on the Sabbath when, you're, when in their mind you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, which is not what the Old Testament. And the Jews understood this. He's saying, I'm equal to God. My father is working until now, and I am working until now, just like my father. This is my father. And when you said my father in that era, the son, when you look, when you were the son of a father, uh, the father of a son, whatever it was you were, the son of your father, (laughs) you had the same legal rights that he did. You were cut from the same cloth that he was. And as we know today, you're of the same genetic code. He's claiming to be equal in nature and essence to God. He's claiming to be of the same cloth that God is cut from, so to speak. And the Jews wanted to kill him. And you know what? This isn't an isolated event. This happened time and time again. In John chapter 10, we get there eventually. And in John chapter 10, when we move several weeks from now or a few months from now, we'll be in John 10. But for now, in John 10, 30 to 33, we read this. I and the Father are one. Think of this. That's like them hearing, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So they're, you know, they're not going to be happy with this. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. It says they picked up stones again to stone him. So this is not the first time. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for a blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. And, and what does Jesus say if you read on in the text there? He doesn't go, oh, you misunderstood me. I didn't, I didn't mean that. He doesn't ever do that. He always accepts all the titles that are put on there. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. I mean, Jesus will say later on in John's gospel, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's claiming to be equal with the Father. And eventually this would cost him his life. In Luke twenty-two seventy, 70, they ask him, come on, you know, this is when he's on trial. Are you the son of God? And he says, you say that I am. Uh, Other translations say, I am. And the point is this. Jesus consistently, habitually, and in this case, in John 5, clearly portrays himself to be equal to God. And that leads to a whole other series of escalation and progressions of thought and conclusion. It brings us to our second self-portrait. What do we see in self-portrait number two? What we're going to see is that Jesus portrayed himself as equal in ability to God. It only makes sense. If you're equal with God, you can do what God does, right? John 5, 19 and 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, certainly, certainly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. So he's sort of like rubbing a little salt in the wounds. And he's not being mean, but he's being insistent. He's being assertive. He's being clear. He wants them to understand. He wants them to be saved, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, 
So whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. He did not send the Son to judge that the world would be condemned but would be saved through him. He's bringing them the message of life. He's backing them into a corner so they can understand with certainty who he is. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord but whatever he sees the Father doing. That would have stiffened him up right there. But then look what he says. For whatever the Father does, that thing, that the Son does likewise. The Son does in the same way, with the same capability, the same ability, the same power. That's an incredible statement. And for the Jewish mind, for the Jewish leaders there, that would have been just it would have either it should have made them step back and think, yeah, this is the one that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John said, I'm the one, I'm the forerunner of the Messiah, you know, this is the one who turned the water into wine. This is the one who healed that guy's son long distance. This is the one that we confronted in the temple. But they didn't do that. They didn't want any of that. But you get a hint of what's going on here. What does it mean to have the same capabilities as, as God? What does it mean to be working alongside God from all eternity? Can you imagine what these people thought? Can you imagine what you would have thought? If he wasn't God, then he was in real trouble. This would have been an outrageous statement to make, but he makes it. He portrays himself as being equal to God. He portrays himself as having the same ability as God. And then he really drives it home here. Portrait number three, self-portrait number three. Jesus portrays himself as the giver of life like God. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son raises the dead and gives them life. Scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees, what conclusion should you be drawing about me? What am I really saying about me? In terms of ability and equality, the logic only follows that if he can do what God does, and just as God said, let there be light, just as God took the man and breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living being, Jesus is claiming the same ability. And even beyond that, the ability to impart eternal life. Look at John 5, 24. He keeps going. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but is passed from, lo- from death into life. If you created life, then you can bestow life. And Jesus is claiming to be the giver of life. Creator and giver of life is the theme in John's gospel. John 1, verses 3 and 4, all things were made through him, all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was nothing made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is Jesus. Now let that sink in. Let that self-portrait sink in, because... The reason I'm telling you all this is each week with each sermon, I want you to take what you learn so that you can teach it to someone else. A lot of times we say, you know, I don't, I'm just not a good evangelist. All you have to do is teach what you know and let the Spirit of God work in that person's life. And what you know now is that Jesus claimed to be equal to God. He claimed the same authority as God. He claimed to be the giver of life, the creator of life. John 1, 3, and 4, all things were made through him. John 5, 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. John 5, 21, the Son gives life to whom he will. He raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom This would be an alarming self-portrait. This would be an alarming self-portrait. He violates the Sabbath? Well, actually, he's the Lord over the Sabbath, right? And then he makes himself equal to God. I mean, look at John 5, 19 again. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but he only does what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. 
Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to He will. And that's why they were trying to kill Him, because He was making Himself equal to God. As you look at this, and as you talk to people, and it, you, know, you never know who you're going to talk to and what they're going to say. You could have a Jehovah Witness come to your door, and they believe that Jesus was a man or an angel or something. And you have to ask, what do the words say? What do the words mean? And what do I do? When you under, whether you're teaching a Bible study, or listening to a sermon, or just doing your personal devotions in the morning, and you read the scriptures, those are the only three questions at the end of the day that matter. What do the words say? What do the words mean? What do we do? Jesus claims to be equal with God. That's what the words say. People may try to ignore those words. They may try to bend those words. They may try to reinterpret those words. But that's what they say, and that's what they mean. The text says the Jews were trying to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. That's what the words say. That's what the words mean. And when he says the Son gives life to whom he will is the giver of life, that's what the words say, and that's what they mean. Jesus claims to be the giver of life. Who did he think he was? Who did Jesus think he was? And what will he do next? You know, as you're watching this play out, if you were a bystander, you had to be wondering, what's he going to do next? What is this guy going to say? Who does he think he is? He says he's equal to God. He says he can do anything God can do. He says he can give life, physical and eternal. Who does he think he is? Which brings us to the fourth self-portrait. And this is a biggie. Watch what he does here. John 5, 22 and 23. Watch closely. Listen. Think about what he's saying. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That's big. But then watch this. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Who's... He's claiming an equal honor to God. You know what he's, you know what he's saying? He's portraying himself as equally deserving as, of worship. He's saying, everything you do for God, you do for me. You worship God, you worship me. You don't worship me, you don't worship God. I mean, this is revolutionary. I mean, this would have just been a paradigm shifter. They're sitting here going, this guy claims to be equal to God, same ability as God, he's a giver of life. Now he says we ought to worship him like God. Who does he think he is? Well, listening to what he's saying, who does he think? And this is very deliberate because he takes each sentence, each statement, and he just keeps building on it. He keeps escalating this. He keeps ratcheting up. The temperature of the confrontation. They've confronted him. They put him on trial and he's making his case. And you know, here's the thing too. I've had people say, well, it doesn't say that he's asking to be worshipped. Where was Jesus ever worshipped? You know what? If you've read the New Testament, you know that Jesus accepted worship when no one else would. You go to, you go to the book of Revelation and John sees the angel and he falls down to worship him. The angel says, get up, don't do that. I'm a servant just like you. Cornelius was about to worship Peter and Peter's like, don't do that. You know, when Paul was down, and you read in Thessalonians, you read in the book of Acts, they were down there, and they were, and these uh, pagan people were about to sacrifice to them, thinking they were gods, and they tore their clothes and said, don't do that. But Jesus never does that, never says that, never rejects a title, Messiah, Son of God, King of Israel, and he never rejects worship. In fact, in John 9, 35 to 38, we have an example of Jesus. He heals the man blind from birth. And we see this. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. They threw the man out of the synagogue because he wouldn't betray Jesus. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus accepted worship because Jesus expected worship. Angels didn't accept worship. Men don't accept worship. Believing men, Christian, Christ followers, God followers. But as the giver of life, as equal to God, 
is equal in ability to God, he would deserve the same treatment as God. Jesus accepts worship. He portrayed himself as worthy of worship. And that is an unmistakable fact. How do you honor God? You worship spirit and in truth. And he's moving these people along who are confronting him, who are resisting him, who want to kill him. And he is, I mean, there's no other way to say it. He is making it, it he's not provoking them for, the, for his enjoyment. He's not prodding them because he's cruel. He's wanting them to realize who he is because it's a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death, which brings us to the fifth self-portrait, the fifth self-portrait. Jesus portrayed himself as the only Savior. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is John 5, 25 to 27, truly, or 26, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. And as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son that he also has life in himself. And he has given authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Here he uses two titles associated with the Messiah, associated with deity. Son of God, Son of Man. And he's saying that he is the judge and the Savior. He's it. He portrays himself as the eternal judge, but also as the eternal giver of life. The statement parallels equality with God, the ability of God, worshiping God. He portrays himself as the final authority and the ultimate dispenser of mercy and grace. The one who looks past our sin and calls us to trust him, to believe in him, to trust him for eternal life. It takes us back to John 5, 24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. This is a recurring theme throughout the Gospels. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He's it. Jesus has with great precision revealed to these men who he is. Think about that. They're without excuse. They're standing before him. Here's their opportunity. And next week we'll get into portraits of unbelief, so to speak, or descriptions of unbelief. But I want you to understand what he's doing here. He's, laying, he's making his case. He's leading them inductively, gradually. He's taking them on a journey from over here to bring them to the conclusion that he's God. Did Jesus really claim to be God? If he is equal to God, having the same ability and power as God, if he is the giver of life like God, deserving the same worship and honor as God, and is the only Savior, the giver of eternal life like God, then Jesus is God. And that's what he's saying. There is no way around this. There is no way around them. The question for them is, what are we going to do with this? They're living in a time of great messianic expectation. They're expecting the Messiah. They hadn't had a word from God in 450 years until John the Baptist shows up in the spirit and power of Elijah and says, I am the one who makes straight the way of the Lord, the one who comes after me. I'm not even worthy to untie a sandal. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's done miracles. He's claimed the temple as his own. He has stepped into the temple and claimed it. My father's house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a place of merchandise. And now he's walked them through. He's claimed to be equal to God. He's claimed equal ability to God. He's portrayed himself as the giver of life. He has portrayed himself as deserving worship like God. He's portrayed himself as the only savior. Who does he think he is? God. What do you do with it? When you leave here today, what do you do with it? You take what you have and you share it with somebody. If you're a mom or a dad, you share it with a teenage son or daughter. 
You know, when, when they go to school and they take all their classes and some of these classes, you know, in sexual development, some of these things about all, all truth is truth, you know, and it's your truth and my truth, you know, you have to inoculate them. What do you do with your little ones? You get down and explain. I remember holding my daughters and just saying, Jesus is God. Just that simple concept. You know, Jesus turned water into wine. You know, Jesus said that he had the same ability of God, that he had deserved the same honors. God, you, you walk them through this. You train their minds and hearts and point them toward the Savior. It might not take today, tomorrow, next week. But you know, it, it, one of the things that is really difficult about our world, it's such a busy world. And Christianity and worship and church is almost like one more extracurricular activity and a, and a continuum of extracurricular activities. But the bottom line is, we're teaching this here and, and your ABFs and your Sunday school classes and your growth groups so that you can teach what you know. So that God can use you in the lives of others. So that you can counteract the culture. So that you can point people toward the truth. Your sons and daughters and children and grandchildren are only here 90 minutes to maybe three hours a week. The rest of the time they're in school. And we know what they're learning there, right? In the classroom, the primary school, the secondary school, the university. Then you have them more than I do. You have them more than the student ministries pastor will have them, Josh Coffey. You have them more than their Sunday school teachers have them. And you have to redeem the time. You have to bring the truth of God to them. You have to school them in what is true. And what we've been doing here in this study of John's gospel is, is giving you enough to feed them an inch at a time so that when you're done, and we're done here, just like Jesus has walked them through, I'm equal to God, I have the same ability as God, I'm the giver of life, I deserve worship, I'm the only Savior, I'm God. You can do the same thing with your son, daughter, niece, nephew, child, grandchild, person in the cubicle next to you, wife or husband in the pew beside you or at home watching TV. You can walk them because in the 90 minutes a week that we may get here, we're just the cherry on top of the ice cream cone. We're not even the ice cream. We're not even the meal. You are the meal. What you feed them at home is what nourishes them. And I just want to encourage you to take and teach what you know every day. Because the bottom line is, what are we going to do with this? If Jesus is God, we need to tell people. And if we have not embraced that fact, that irrefutable fact that he claimed to be God, and if we have not surrendered our wills to it, we need to. If we have not surrendered our whole person to Jesus and begged him to redeem us, to save us, to make us his child, to make us Christ followers, to give us an eternal home, we need to. So I want you to think about this. I want you to take and teach what you heard. I want you to internalize it and embrace it in a way maybe that you haven't embraced. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a lot to chew on. What, what, a, what a discourse. Father, we only heard half of the conversation. Jesus talking to them. Father, we stand amazed that they weren't even excited about his, his miracle, that the man he healed wasn't even excited about him. And Lord, but Father, we want to be excited. We want to serve him. We want to serve you. We want to tell people who Jesus is and what Jesus can do for them. Lord, I just pray for each and every person here, whether they have nieces or nephews or children or grandchildren or friends or neighbors or spouses or colleagues and co-workers, Lord, that you might give them a divine appointment, that you might give them an opportunity to plant this seed here and that seed there. And that over time, Lord, that through their conduct, through their sharing the Christian message, proclaiming Christ, describing Christ, and living in light of the reality of who they say Christ is, that that hearts and souls might be turned and that we as individuals and as a church family may be used by you, these sons and daughters, to glory and then to train their hearts and minds to understand and embrace Christ in big things, great things. We pray these things. Amen.
Pastor Keith Crosby, on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.